0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Torah Studies. This is our weekly look at the Torah portion. Hence the name Parsha, Weekly Torah Portion. It's in the name. It's in the name, Torah Studies. Okay, so we are going to discover tonight biblical love secrets. Sounds like a book. Sounds like a self-help book. Which is, um... Which is a little bit awkward. You know, but the guy who walked into the self, to walk into the bookshop and he asked for the section on uh, self-help books, and the person said, if I tell you where they are, wouldn't that undermine this whole activity? Are you guys with me? The self-help section, if I tell you where that is, okay. All right, I'm just checking in. Just checking in, making sure everyone's on the same page here. Okay, so biblical love secrets revealed. Love secrets of the biblical stars revealed. Something like that. We have to play around with that title and make it sound as bombastic as possible. But we are going through that tonight because love is a complicated topic. I don't think there's been a topic or a theme that's been written about more, sung about more, cried over more, exalted over more, acted out in plays and small screen and big screen as much as. Love. How many songs do we know with the word love? Love is all you need. Um, why is that the only one that's coming to mind? Love <laughs> is cost. a
1: very splendid thing, but that's before your time. Right, lots
0: of things are before my time, but that's never held me back until now. <laughs> that mean
1: we uh, what about lo- what's love got to
0: do with it? What's love got to do with it? Good. Let's get more. Let's get more, guys. Love, songs with love in it. Let's go. Love hurts. Love hurts. What else? Who's love, got? Love, love me do. Say it again? All
1: you need is love. Love, love me, do.
0: Love, love, love me, do, tender. good. Love me tender. Love me tender. All right. Love <laughs> Elvis. Love makes the
1: world go round.
0: Love makes the world go round. So many titles, so many things with love. Um, yeah, good. I, I want to ask you this question. How many, how many love, how many songs, forget love song. how many songs do you know that have the name Yitzchak in it? or Avram in it, not as many as the word love. So here's the point. Tonight, we're going to blend a topic that is well discussed, well sung about, well acted out, well mellow, dramatized. I'm just making up phrases as we go along here. Anyway, a topic that has been discussed at length, discussed and, and read about and, and, and et cetera at length, but we're going to learn some. Jewish wisdom on this topic Danny welcome it's great to have you here Alex welcome it's great to have you here as well okay so the problem with love is that it's easy to fall in love but it's not easy to keep the love going and it's very interesting that the expression that's used is falling in love you ever notice that that no one ever said oh I strolled into love. <laughs> like I just I casually sauntered over to love. Like no one ever says that. It's always ah I fell in love. I fell in love. We fell in love. He fell in love, she fell in love. We. This is falling in love. We're falling discovered,
1: in love. discovered.
0: Yeah, but we don't say discover. We say falling in love. Falling in love. Falling. Almost sounds like it's uh, something haphazard. Head over heels. Something haphazard, head over heels. It's like it's some sort of chaotic, it's got a chaotic um, energy to it, right? Folly, folly, okay. folly, right? Like fall. Yeah. So it's like it's a sort of chaotic energy, that is at, the, at, at this uh, these expressions that we use, when, we use when it comes to love, falling in love, head over heels. Um, yeah, I mean, like gliding, we, gl- we glided in love. No, no, no one ever said that. We walked in love, nope. We stepped in love. No, we fell in love. That's a phrase that's used. Why why, why falling? What's, What's this deal? You know, it's easier to fall in love than to stay in love. It's almost like the haphazard, the chaotic energy of love is a little bit easier to figure out or to experience than a more sustainable form of love. And the question is why? What's at the core of love? that makes it so mysterious, so complicated, so dramatic, so beautiful, but also so painful, and yet makes it so so elusive, so hard to figure out. So that's what we're going to figure out tonight, and we're going to use this week's Torah portion and a very enigmatic um, verse or verses, very enigmatic enigmatic verses from this week's Torah portion to get some clues about love. What we're going to do here is... Look at text number one. I'm going to open up my screen in a second. Well, I'm going to share my screen with the PDF text in a second. But first, let me give you a little background information. So this week's Torah portion is chock full of adventure. It's got angels visiting Abraham. We have Abraham being healed from a circumcision, uh, being told about uh, his wife, Sarah, giving birth to her first child. We have the destruction of Sodom and Amorah. We have Lot surviving with his daughters and a lot of drama over there. I mean, there's so much going on in this week's Torah portion. And then we also have Abraham, Avram and Sarah, Abram and Sarah going down to, or going to the Pelishtim, the Philistines, and encountering the king of the Philistines, the king of the Pelishtim, whose name is Avimelech. One thing about Avimelech, you'll find throughout the Torah, the reference, the name Avimelech. Avimelech, by all accounts, is similar to Pharaoh. What is Pharaoh? Pharaoh was a general name that was given to all the kings, right? So it wasn't necessarily like Pharaoh was his first name. Pharaoh was the general term. It's like, uh, um, like a what's what's another example of this? Whatever. Let's just stick king. with Pharaoh. King. Right, king. Caesar.
1: King Henry, king, king James, king Charles. That's just king. Pharaoh right.
0: Means- Good. Caesar. 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 Good. Caesar. Yeah. Like a salad. Um, so here's the deal. We have Avimelech, who plays an interesting role in various biblical narratives. And he comes up here, and it's going to be important in our understanding of love from a Jewish perspective. And, and I will tell you this right off the bat today, tonight, we're going to be exploring this. A verse through the lens of Kabbalah, from the Zohar, straight from the Zohar, which is the Book of Radiance, Book of Light, authored a few thousand years ago by Rabbi Shun Bar Yochai, as explained by the Rebbe's father in notes that he wrote on his copy of the Zohar while he was imprisoned. Or while he was, um, not imprisoned per se, but exiled. So there's a lot of backstory here that I'm going to get into, but let's do this one step at a time. That's kind of like the bigger picture. Let's go through the steps. Alright, so we begin with text number one. Text number one tells the story of what happens when Avimelech um, abducts Sarah. So Avram and Sarah once again do this thing where he says that she's my sister and she says he's my brother and they're not married because Avram is, is, Abraham is afraid that if he says that they're married, they're going to kill him to take his wife, Sarah, as a as a wife for the, for for the, for Avimelech. So, my sister, okay. Here's what happens. What happens is that um, Avimelech arrests Avram and almost assaults Sarah and violates her. doesn't happen, but it, it almost happened, or at least he was thinking about that happening. Um... But after he realizes, after the king realizes that, uh, that Avram, that Abraham is a very special and, and divine individual, he decides to make a peace treaty with him and to, uh, to, to get along. So I'm going to share my screen. Let's jump into text number one. Um, I'm going to read this. Okay, this is from Genesis 21. And here we go. Avram, Abraham took flocks and cattle. This is, okay, so let me just explain. This is the covenant that was created between Avram or Abraham and Avimelech. What's a covenant? The covenant means a peace treaty. So here we go. Avram took flocks and cattle and gave them to Avimelech. And, and they both formed the covenant. And Avram placed, Abraham placed seven ewe lambs by themselves. Avimelech said to Avram, What are these seven ewe lambs that you have placed by, by themselves? Uh, Abraham answered, for these seven new lambs you shall take from my hand in order that it be for me for a witness, be, that it be to me for a witness that I dug this well. And very interesting dialogue. Let me break this down. So, number one, we have the covenant that's being made. And how did they make a covenant in ancient times? It's interesting because it's not the first covenant that we have in Torah. The Torah tells us about a covenant um, in last week's Torah portion, the covenant that was made between God and Abraham. So Abraham has been making multiple covenants. First time with God, and now with the king, with King Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. So when it came to the covenant with God that was made at the brisbane of Saram, the covenant of the parts, the Torah tells us they took animals. And Avram, Abraham, split the animals in half. He put one half of the animal on one side, one half on the other side, and he walked in between. And that was a sign of a covenant. Now, why was that the sign of a covenant? I don't know. We might be able to speculate that maybe, you know, when you cut something, a single unit in half... And you walk in the middle, what that shows is, you know, that there's really two that are one. It's really unified. And the idea is that we're pledging to always be one. Even if we seem split on an issue, we're going to walk down the middle and we'll all be one. There's symbolism in it. That's what they did in ancient times. So they took animals. They, I guess, slaughtered them, sacrificed them, whatever it was, then cut them in half, put two sides, put the two halves on two sides and walk down the middle together. Well, God didn't walk down the middle. Abraham did, but that was his covenant. Abraham essentially does the same thing about, with Avimelech, right? He, he took flocks and cattle and they made a covenant. But then verse 28, I'm still keeping it up over here, right? And, and, and just reference verse 28. It says, and Abraham placed seven new lambs by themselves. In other words, these were not part of the covenant. These were another seven lambs in addition to the covenant. So Avimelech says, the king says, what's with these seven additional animals? Like what's, what's going on here? And Avram answers, Abraham answers, oh, these seven lambs is a gift to you. I want to give them to you as a witness. In other words, you're agreeing. By me giving them to you and you accepting them, you're agreeing that I dug this well. Clearly, Abraham, Avram, had dug a well. Clearly, there was some jostling. Jostling? There was some controversy over who actually the well belongs to. Avram and Avram's servant said they belong to Avram, Abraham. That's our narrative clearly here in the Torah. Avimelech and the Philistines were saying that no, it was their well. There was a lot of well, kind of uh, well wrangling that happened back in the day. You can imagine water was uh, back in the day before you can go buy water. Water was very important. I'm kidding. Water is still very important, even if you can buy it. So there were there was fights over water, over wells of water, and Avram says, "Look, I'm going to give you these seven ewe lambs, but that, that's now now we're agreeing that this is the, this these wells." That well is my well. And that's how the story ends. All right. Seems innocent enough. Like, what could go wrong? It's, it's, uh, they made an agreement, a peace treaty, and some deal, some agreement about a well. Fine. What happens next is where things get interesting. Because what happens next is the Zohar comments. Again, I mentioned this before. I'm going to do it now again. I told you the outline. Now we're doing it step by step. What happens next is we're going to quote the Zohar. The Zohar, is, the Zohar literally means radiance or light. It, it means the book of the Zohar. Sefer Hazar means the book of light, the book of radiance. It's the primary work of Kabbalah. It is organized according to the Torah portions. So it's basically the mystical insights organized on the Torah portions, on the Bible from the beginning through the five books. So it's got insights on various verses throughout. That's the, way, that's the way it's composed. It'll quote a verse and then share an insight or a story, some sort of spiritual teaching. Now, here's what I need to caution you about. So we study a lot of Kabbalah here. That's one of our, of, of our big, uh, big, big themes. But we like to study, when I say we, I mean I like to teach and we like to study because uh, I guess that's what we're offering here. But we like to study more practical applied Kabbalah. The Zohar is not necessarily the book that's written for that purpose. The Zohar was written again a few thousand years ago, 1900 years ago, 2000 years ago, at an era when Kabbalah was only studied by a select few. And Kabbalah then was very locked down, very encoded, very cryptic, very mystical. Only select few individuals in every generation were privileged to be taught and to study Kabbalah, and it was written for that, for that level. It wasn't written for the masses. It, wasn't written in, in, it was not written in lay, layperson's terminology. It was written in very esoteric, scholarly language. I don't know if the example, the excerpt that we have here in text two, which we're about to, to study together, is exactly the loftiest thing you've ever heard, but esoteric it is. It's a little bit vague and esoteric. So let's see what the Zohar comments on our verse. Okay? Okay. Here we go. Sefer Zohar, the book of radiance, the book of light, text number two. It says like this Three things, three things. Oh, by the way, the Zohar was written in Aramaic. So if you're, tra- if you're looking at the Hebrew side, a little box, inun las, las hada. Las hada. if you know Hebrew, that's not going to make any sense because it's Aramaic. Anyway, here's the English Three things exist as witnesses to serve as testimony. Again, I'm going to say this sentence again. Three things exist as witnesses to serve as testimony. They are the well of Isaac, the lot, and the stone Joshua set up. All right, super clear, right? I'm kidding, super vague. So there are three things, three items, that actually aren't just items, but they're witnesses that serve serve as testimony. The well of Isaac, the lot, and the stone that Joshua set up. And the Zohar continues to break down each one. Regarding the well of Isaac, let's, let's go second paragraph. From where do we derive the well of Isaac? In other words, where do you see that the well of Isaac is a witness that serves as testimony? From the verse, in order that it be to me for a witness that I dug this well. In other words, the Zohar quotes, right here, the Zohar quotes, right, at the end of this uh, text too, the verse that we just had in text number one. When Abraham goes to Melech and says, and takes... He takes a dish, seven additional ewe lambs, and Abimelech the king says, what are these for? And he says, in order that it be, for me, it be to me for a witness that I dug this well. So these, the, 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 the covenant and the, the ewe lambs were a witness bearing testimony that yes, I dug this well. So the czar says, from here we see that the well of Isaac served as a witness to serve testimony. Okay, that's the czar. Good. I don't know about you, But I have a bunch of questions and I'm hoping that it's not so confusing that it shuts down all questions because it just doesn't make any sense. I'm hoping that enough of it makes a little bit of sense that we can actually ask questions and try to analyze this. Let me explain what these three things are. The well of Isaac is a well that I guess Isaac dug. The lot are the talking lotteries that were drawn at the end of the 40 years in the desert to determine which tribe would get which piece of land in the land of Israel. Let me stop sharing for a moment so I can see our online crew. Um, at the end of the 40 years, before the Jewish people enter Israel, God says, it's ti- God says to Moshe, even though you're not going to lead them in, it's, maybe that was before he hit the rock, whatever. But he says it's time to divide the land. Divide which tribes go to which por- portion. So Israel is a, you know, it's a country. The question is who gets what? Twelve tribes, who gets what? So they drew lots. There was a, there was a lottery. They put 12 pieces of paper or whatever they had to write on 12... 12 um, names of the land, 12 regions in one box, the 12 tribes in another box, and they lifted them out. Oh, you get, I'm just going to go with states here, forgive me. You get New York, you get California, you get Florida, you get Georgia, done. Although it was Israel, but that's the way it worked. 12 tribes, 12 portions of land, the lottery. What was cool about the lottery was that it was a talking lottery. It was a talking lottery. If you studied DPP with me or studied the parish in depth, otherwise, on that Torah portion, it might have been Chukas, Balak, Pincha, somewhere in the book of Numbers, the story is told. And basically, it says, Alpi HaGorol, by the mouth of the lottery, were the tribes apportioned. And what that means is that when they picked up the lottery, it actually, the lottery spoke and it said, the tribe of Reuben should get so-and-so land. And that was a clear message and a clear declaration that, yes, this was not just chance, but by divine calling. Yeah, divine calling. They didn't look under the table to see Joshua there calling out, the th- joking, joking about that. That was a joke. It was a divine voice that came down, talking lottery that said, corroborated, yes, this, this land to this tribe, and corroborated with the lottery came out. That way, no tribe could say, hey, we, it's unfair, we got the short end of the stick, we would rather have that. You know, you know, when you divide things, everyone wants the other thing, even though their thing might be better. The grass is always greener, right, in the other tribe's territory. So that's the way it was. So, talking lotteries may avoid that, etc. So the Zara says that was something that serves as a testimony, serves as a witness, then indeed, legit. Right, should I explain that? In other words, the Zara says three things, act as a witness. Act as a witness to, to serve as testimony. What's the witness? What's the testimony? The lottery says, I am testifying. I'm speaking and testifying that this is legit. Nothing shady went on. You really get this piece of land. Great. The stones that Joshua set up. What stones did he set up? The Torah says, Moses says, when you go into the land, when you cross over the Jordan, set up stones with the Torah written on it. It's a service testimony. What our people are about. Our people are about the book, about the Torah. So take pillars, take monuments, create monuments you know, most, most uh, nations, when they conquer something or when, when something amazing happens in the country, they make a monument, they put a soldier, they put a gun, they put a horse, they put a something, they put a hat. What did the Jews put when they, when they entered the land of Israel? They put a monument with Torah on top of it. That's it. Half Torah will travel. Half Torah will settle. That's what we have. Our, our monument is Torah. So it serves as a testimony, a witness to, to bear testimony to what we're all about. We're all about the Torah. Good. So that's two out of three. What's the first one? What's the well? What's the well? So that's question number one on the Zohar. Question number one is, what's the well of Isaac that's bearing testimony, that's a witness that's bearing testimony? What's the witness? What's the testimony? What are we talking about? How is a well that Isaac digs a witness that bears testimony? Question number one. The other ones I understand. What, 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 is, it de- what is it declaring? The lottery declared... The, the um, division of Israel is legit. The monument declared Jews are about Torah. What does a well declare? Oh, I've got water? I mean, what is it declaring? That's number one. Question number two is, why does the Tsar call it the well of Isaac? If the verse that it brings in support of the well of Isaac being a well of testimony, a testimony is the verse that stated regarding Avram, Abraham and Avimelech and the covenant. I'm hoping I didn't lose you guys. I'm going to share my screen one more time. Okay, it's step one and step two. Text one and text two. Text one is a covenant between two people, Abraham and Abimelech. And in this covenant, Abraham says, I'm giving you seven new lambs in order to be a witness that I dug this well. Whose well is it? Abraham's well. What does the Zara say? Three things serve as witness, three things exist as witnesses or as testimony. And what's number one, the well of Isaac? And how do we know the well of Isaac is testimony? Because the verse says, in order that it be for me as a witness that I dug this well, and that's Abraham's verse for Abraham's well. So the question is, is it Abraham's well or Isaac's well? Does that make sense, my question? Yes. Whose well is it anyway? Is it Abraham's well or Isaac's well? The Torah tells us that this verse about a witness that I dug this well is happening in the times of Abraham. So why does the Zohar call it the well of Isaac? Yes? If the well was dug by Abraham, why is it being called the well of Isaac? Simple question. I'm going to ask a third question. A bonus question. I was debating whether to ask it. I'm going to ask it. The bonus question is, in the verse, what serves as as a witness? The witness is, the animals. I'm giving you animals, and by you taking the animals, you're agreeing, and it's acting as a witness, that you're conceding that it's actually my well, says Abraham. And what does the czar say? That the well itself is a witness. So Hold on. Is the well the witness, or are you, is it a witness for the well, for the legitimacy of the well? Yet yeah, do these questions make sense, three questions? Yes? Yes? Yes, yes, yes? Okay. Question number one. Is What's the first question? Oh, question number one is, what's, what are we, what's the witness about? What's the testifying about? What are we testifying about? That there's water? Right. Question two, whose well is it? Abraham's or Isaac's? And question number three is, the animals were the witness that the well was dug by Abraham, and now the Zohar is saying that the well itself is a, is a witness. I, I, at this point, I don't even know what's going on. But I already told you before that the Zohar is cryptic. So the fact that we would think we would crack open the Zohar, read it with our legs up on a beach chair like a novel and and, and decode it and understand it like, oh yeah, sure, three things are testimony, no big deal. The well of Isaac, I get it. Like the the, the expectation to understand it. Like that, I hopefully already mitigated um, and neutralized and zapped and deleted that expectation from you so that we're left with a very confusing passage that to you and I, at this point, doesn't make any sense. The well is it the well of Isaac? Why is it Isaac? Is it witness? What witness? That bears testimony. What test? What, what are we even talking about? So to understand this, to understand this, I am go. We're going to learn a, an explanation written by Reb Rabbi Levi Yitzchak. Zohar? How many volumes of Zohar there are? There are three: part one, part two, part three. But then there's also Rai Mahemna, There's also other other volumes. So in the Hebrew, it's usually like three, four, five volumes. In English, it could be as long as the translators want to uh, to expand it. You know, English with commentary could be like twenty volumes. Um, so. What we're going to do now is study something phenomenal. A commentary penned by the Rebbe's father. So let me give you a little background. The Rebbe's father, Rabbi Levi Yitzchak Schneerson, was a Makubo, was a Kabbalist. He was a Rav, he was an expert in Jewish law, an expert in Jewish mysticism. He was the rabbi of a small city, maybe it's not so small, I don't know, I was never there, called Yekaterenislav in Ukraine. So he's the rabbi of the city in Ukraine, very well respected. But here's the deal, completely against the communists, or at least didn't follow the, the line of the communists. The communists said, you have to do everything our way. Even Judaism has to be done in accordance with us. The Rebbe's father said, nope, it has to be done in accordance with the halacha, with Jewish law, in accordance with God. And honestly, what you say doesn't matter. And ultimately, they arrested him, and they exiled him to Kazakhstan, and he got very, he was there for a number of years, got very sick, and ultimately passed away in exile. So it was like malaria, mosquito, malaria infested where he was, like just horrible living, horrific living conditions. They basically wanted to get rid of him. They didn't kill him. They just, they just sent him to horrific conditions. And he passed away. Now, I've told this story before. I feel like I told it even recently. The this is the Rebbe's father, our Rebbe's father. The Rebbe's mother tracked down. She had no idea. They took, they took her husband, and he was gone. She, she had no way of finding, of knowing where he was, where they took him. She tracked him down, found out where he was, and she moved in with him in exile. She said, if he's in exile, I'm in exile. She voluntarily went into exile to help him. But it was a little while later, he had already taken a turn for the worse. One of the major issues, one of the major challenges was staying, I'm saying, like just staying positive and staying motivated and stay feeling useful and, and productive. The Rebbe's father was a scholar. And the Rebbe's mother recognized how much it, it pained him to not be able to, to study and write his ideas down. So, And again, I feel like I shared this recently. The Rebbe's mother went out into the fields, and she collected herbs, grasses of different colors, and she ground them or cooked them, ground whatever it was, she prepared them, and she made ink, homemade, natural, organic ink out of the herbs and, and whatever was around them. And the, Rebbe had, the Rebbe's father had very few books. One of them was a, a copy of the Zohar, this book that we're studying now tonight, and he took a pen and dipped it into the ink, and he wrote a commentary, very shorthand commentary, in the margins of his own Zohar. Maybe after the class, if you want to stay on, I'll try to pull up a copy because I'm sure I can find it. If we Google it, I'm sure we can find the copy, color copy. You see the Zohar text in the middle and different color commentary on the outside, written by the Rebbe's father with the ink that his wife, the Rebbe's mother, prepare. What we're going to study now, text number three, is one such commentary. So tonight, I hope you're appreciating this. This is an extreme privilege that we're studying a verse from Torah, the Zohar on it, and the Rebbe's father's handwritten with grass-made ink, handwritten commentary on that piece of Zohar that's going to explain the Zohar, the verse, and ultimately love. That's where we're going, because I didn't forget about the opening, right? That's where we're going with this. So hold on Buckle up. That's the background. Here we go. Sharing my screen for text number three. The Rebbe's father's commentary. Rabbi Leviitzitz Schirrson, Lekute Leviitzitzitz Zahra, volume two, page 460. By the way, this was a collection after the Rebbe's father passed away and his mother came to America. They got all the books and then scholars took, the, took all the notes and they compiled it into multiple volumes of commentary on the Zohar by the Rebbe's father. Does that make sense? Okay. Let's go. Let's learn this together. The Rebbe's father asks our question. Why does the Zohar attribute the well to Isaac when in fact the verse speaks of Abraham? The verse clearly is Abraham and Abimelech making a treaty and Abraham says, promise me that you agree that these are my wells. And he says, yes, done, whatever. It's a witness that these are my wells. And the Zohar says, and what well is this? The well of Isaac. Oh, well of Isaac. Where did Isaac come in? Isaac is flying. So listen, the Rebbe's father writes, Harav Levi Yitzchak writes, after Abraham's passing, the well in question was stuffed by the Philistines. Stuffed by the Philistines means it was they 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 shoveled dirt and sand to block the well. And Isaac Yitzchak later redug this well. Thus, the Zohar attributes it to him, to Isaac. The above, hold on, just make sure it's nice and quiet back here. The above can be seen in the verse. In a later verse, not in our Torah portion, but in a later verse in Torah, it says, And Isaac again dug the wells of water, which they had dug in the days of his father Abraham. And Isaac gave them names, like the names that his father had given them. So the Torah itself later on says that all of the wells dug by Abraham, the father Abraham, they were all stuffed up by the Philistines. And Isaac re-dug them and gave them the same original names that Abraham had given them. Good. That's the commentary. So why is it called the Well of Isaac? Because he redug them. So yeah, Abraham dug it, made a deal with Abimelech. Clearly, after Abraham passed away, Abimelech reneged on the deal and, and, and sabotaged it. Are you with me on the story if we're filling in the pieces? Right. Abimelech says, sure, it's your well. Abraham dies. Ho ho! Sabotaging the old well. Isaac redigs it. And it's called the well of Isaac. And the Rebbe's father concludes with this see Torah R, Discourse on Todo for more on this. A little reference there on the bottom. But here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to know. The Rebbe's father did not have a library in Kazakhstan, the Rebbe's father had a handful of books, literally, a handful of books. It's not like the, the Rebbe's mother came in with like a U-Haul truck. All right, guys, bring in the, oh, hold on, bring in the bookshelves and the boxes. That's not what was going on here. came with a, a, a suitcase, one suitcase, with some clothes and some books. That was it. The Rebbe's father didn't have a copy of the Torah, or the book in question. Torah, Ar, by the way, the book in question, the book it's referenced, is a book of discourses by the Altar Rebbe, the founder of Chabad, on the Torah portions. So the Rebbe's father is, is, is referencing a, a discourse from the Alter Rebbe on Torah. So the Rebbe's father didn't have that book handy, but he knew it by heart. And so he references it. Every time he writes a reference, because again, he wrote in shorthand and he didn't have the books, it means that it's necessary to look it up. So I want, I want to focus on this comment. of the rebbe's father he says why is it called the the well of isaac because isaac redug it after it was uh, after it was covered up um if that's the case what kind of witness and testimony is the well what kind of covenant did they make right what kind of covenant was this with, with between abraham and abimelech and why does the zara say why does the zara tout this as oh look guys you want to know what three things are like a witness and a testimony and like an everlasting thing the well the well are you kidding me the well was the well that was sabotaged so this is the la- this is like the opposite of a testimony are you with me on my question yeah if you're trying to find something that testifies about something in a way that in a way of permanence that's not this well this well was on and then off, then on again but there was a time that it was stuffed up so what kind of well of testimony is this? number one number two what type of test what, what testimony is it bearing is it just saying that, yes, there was an agreement between Abraham and Abimelech, that Abimelech clearly walked back on reneged? Or, or, or that, what is it testifying to, that, that Isaac redug the wells? Why does that need testimony? You want to tell me that we, we have testimony, we have a witness, we have clear indication that the, the land of Israel was apportioned by each tribe? Sure. Tell me that the Jews are connected with Torah? Sure. But that the well was dug by Isaac? Like, why is that a thing? Like, what, 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 are, what, what kind of testimony is this? What kind of witness is this? There's something clearly that we're missing in this whole story because it, it still doesn't make sense. Even if we have this explanation of why Isaac's name is thrown into the mix because it was stuffed up and then redug, sure, okay, so Isaac helps out, uh, you know. But what's the testimony? What's the witness? What's going on? So to understand this, we need to look at. We need to look at the difference between Abraham and Isaac, the first two generations of Jews. Abraham, our patriarch our patriarch Isaac, Abraham father, Isaac the son. How do they differ in their modality of divine service? Because once we understand that, a lot will fall into place. So there's a lot of distinctions when you look through the biblical story, there's a lot of distinctions between Abraham and Isaac. The main thing that we notice is that Abraham was a traveler and Isaac stayed at home. Abraham traveled far and wide and Isaac never left the land of Israel. Why didn't he leave the land of Israel? Well, you remember that he was um, brought up as an offering, the binding of Isaac? Mm-hmm. Well, once he was brought up, he became holy. And the, the law is that an offering, for example, an animal offering, if you bring an animal offering in the altar in the temple, and for some reason it does, you don't go through with the offering, but once it's put up in the altar... It becomes holy. You can't use it for mundane use. And it can't leave the holy city so or the holy land. So, But in the case of, of Isaac, he was brought up as an offering. He wasn't actually sacrificed, thank God. But he was brought up as an offering. At this point, he was not allowed to be brought. He was not allowed to leave the conf- the borders of the land of Israel. So Abraham was a traveler, and Isaac was more staying at home. We also know that Abraham was all about love and giving and generosity. And Abraham, we don't see that trait. Sorry, and Isaac we don't see that trait with Isaac. That's an Abrahamic trait, but not Isaac. I want to share with you what the outer Rebbe says in Torah. This is the reference that the Rebbe's father made at that last line of his commentary. See Torah Toldot what's what's over there? So let's let's actually re- look, um, explore it together. This is text number four. Text number four, this is the missing citation or the the reference that, uh, that we need to decode here. Our sages tell us to behave in a manner that makes the name of heaven beloved. This means to make godliness more manifest in this world. This then is what inspired Abraham's hospitality. He would wine and dine pagans so that, afterwards, so that afterward he could teach them about God's greatness by instructing them to thank God and no one else for their food. This type of influence is known as drawing down from above to below. Basically, Abraham brought everybody in, he opened up his tent, he traveled around also, but he brought everyone in, and he, gave, he fed them generously, and he said, don't forget to thank God. Okay, That's above to below. That's an influence from, from outside in. Isaac, by contrast, was a well digger. Isaac, by the way, is known for his well digging, even though we talked about Abraham's well, but Isaac was really the well digger representing a different type of influence by which the very reality that previously concealed godliness is shown to be itself godly. A parable for this is a hole bored into apparently dry earth, but but which after digging reveals itself to be filled with water. So it's interesting here. Oh, sorry. Let's continue. Sorry. Next page. Now Abraham also dug wells, but they were stuffed and did not last. It was none other than Isaac who dug them anew. He ensured that his father's flow would no longer be stopped. So this really contains the key to our class and the key to love and the key to so many things about uh, about life and and, and human character. So let's try to go slowly and, 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 and unpack this idea step by step. There are different ways to influence. One way is from outside in and the other way is from inside out. The outside in approach implies that I don't believe that the other one has this information or has this ability, or has this, you know, whatever, has this gift, so I'm going to share it with them. So I'm going to teach them. I'm going to educate them. I'm going to inspire them. So that's outside in. That's from without to within. So I look at the other person and I say, oh, you don't know this, or you don't have that, or you're not inspired this way or that way, and so I'm going to give that to you. That's what Abraham did. Abraham said, oh, look at all these pagans, they don't believe in God, they don't know about God, monotheism is like, every, no one knows about monotheism, so I'm going to bring people in and feed them and then tell them something they don't know. That's one approach. Another approach is to recognize that no, the answer actually lies within That deep down, there is that reservoir of, of wisdom, that reservoir of inspiration, that reservoir of light, that deep down, inside that individual, it already exists. And my job is not to impose the information or the inspiration, but rather to help guide the process of uncovering it within yourself. Does that make sense? So you can either teach it and impose it from without, or try to uncover it from within. Two different modalities. One way is essentially, well, you don't have water, so let me bring you the water. The other, the, that's Abraham's approach. Isaac's approach is, no, you have the water. You just don't know it yet. Right? You have the water. The water's inside you. You just don't know it yet. I'm just going to help you dig and clear away the schmutz, and then you're going to find the water that you always had all along. Two different, two different perspectives on life. Do you believe that the beauty's there, that needs to be uncovered, that's Isaac, or that you need to introduce the beauty. Two different perspectives. Um, okay. What was I thinking? I was thinking of a parallel. All right. Doesn't matter. Maybe I'll get back to it. In in another way of looking at the dynamic, the duality between Abraham and Isaac, is the difference between the first two and the primary mystical emotive energies known as the Midot. Within the ten divine sphere, the ten divine energies, which we don't have time to explore in depth tonight, there are ten divine energies, ten sfirot that God manifests in order to create the world, three intellectual, seven emotional. The first two of the seven emotional traits are chesed and gvura, love and discipline. And what's interesting is that these two, chesed and gvura, which you may have encountered in a previous study with me or, or on your own, um, Chesed and Gvura parallel beautifully the modalities and the service, the, the character of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham was someone who welcomed everybody in and gave generously and taught generously. Abraham was a giver. Chesed is marked by an open hand and a giving hand. Isaac is a little bit of a different modality. Isaac says, let's dig inside. Let's do the hard work, the introspective work. Right? Let's 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 deal with the dirt and clear away the dirt in order to uncover the beauty within. That's a much more of an inner work. That's not outgoing and 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 generous and and that's an internal work. That requires discipline. So Abraham is marked by love and kindness and giving and generosity. And Isaac is marked by discipline, what we would call also severity. It's a bit of a harshness, even though he's looking generously at the other person saying, I believe that you have that quality within. So let's uncover it. So there's a generous look. There's a a generous look at the other person. But it's still the, the work being done itself is, is a, is a di- more difficult work. The, the task is more difficult to uncover it than to just introduce it. Dif- different modalities, different ways, different approaches. It's like your child needs some di- direction or correction, or your child gets uh, in trouble. So do you fix it by, like, throwing, you know, money or resources or, or connections at it? Is that how you fix it from, from the outside in? Like, oh, hey, let me fix it for you. Or do you encourage them to work on it, to do the work, to do the inner work to change? So it's two different modalities. What's interesting is that while Abraham's, while Avram's approach seems beautiful, It's about love and generosity and giving. As we learn in the sources, ultimately, it's not always sustainable. Because when love is unbridled, when love is all about just giving, 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 it can oftentimes lead to undesired consequences. And what what I mean by that is that when we're focused on giving, without discipline, or we're focused on the experience of love, without respect, things could get out of hand. And this is the meaning of the concept that we've been talking about, where Abraham digs the wells, and then what happens? The Philistines, the Plishtim, stuff those wells up, which means, conceptually, that the approach, the avodah, the approach of Abraham, although it's love, it's, it seems beautiful, but it's not so sustainable. It's not so long-term because it can get hijacked. Let's take a look at a beautiful text that explains, helps explain this dynamic. Rabbi? Yes. Uh, just real quickly, uh, Abraham converted many, many hundreds of thousands of people, but they were all lost. So maybe that has something to do with it too. He's generous, generous, but he expects nothing back. I mean, I, I just throw that out. There. Yeah, 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 excellent. In other words, it's kind of like easy come, easy go. If the work is not done, if the inner work is not done, then people are inspired, but it doesn't. It's not necessarily sustainable. Right. And specifically in the context of love, because that's what we want to focus on right now. Specifically in the context of of love, love can get can get stopped up. So let's take a look at what the, uh, the Philistines represent. Okay, so let's take a look at text 8a and 8b. I'm going to share my screen with you, and we're going to take a look together. Okay, text 8a and 8b. 8a says, from the opening verse in the book of Psalms, 1-1, Praiseworthy is the person who does not follow the counsel of the wicked, neither does he stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the company of scorners. So, yeah, it's, it's good not to uh, follow the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the company of scorners. So the Talmud, text B, explains. The Talmud says, mm-hmm. Rabbi, Rabbi Shul bar Nachmeni said, In the name of Rabbi Yonatan, the verse which says praiseworthy is the person who does not follow the counsel of the wicked, that refers to our forefather Abraham. The verse continues, Nor sit in the company of scorners. This means that Abraham did not sit in the company of the Philistines, because they were scorners and engaged in jest and buffoonery. I love that. As it is stated with regard to the Philistines in a later period and it came to pass when their hearts were merry that they said, call for Samson that he may make us sport. They were the ones who uh, ultimately brought about Samson's demise much later on in history. The Philistines, by the way, were always a thorn at the side of the Jews from Abraham's time all the way through the the period of the Jewish settlement in the land of Israel, etc. So here's the point. The Philistines are marked by this merriment, jest, frivolity, etc., which brings us back to love. You see, love, if love is unbridled, it can lead to a negative place. Unbridled love, it sounds like, okay, love is good, so unbridled love is even better, right? If, if, if one is good, a thousand is great. If one dollar is good, a million is great. But no, love is good, but love too much is not good. And we have so many examples of this. We have examples in parenting, in teaching, in loving relationships, romantic relationships. Too much love is actually can actually backfire. Because what happens with too much love? So number one with a child, too much love, never saying no, spoils a child. It's not good. Child asks for a knife. Sure. You want a knife? You have a knife. You want a sports car at 18? Get your sports car. You want unlimited cash access? No problem. Anyone will tell you, right, I think we would, all, we would all agree with this, that that's not a good idea. Why is that not a good idea? Because too much of a good thing can be problematic. Too much love is not good. It ends up with frivolity and scoffing and jest. Not exactly those words. Buffoonery. Not exactly those words. We, would, we probably wouldn't apply those words to all of the possible outcomes of giving a teenager unlimited access to, to, to resources, to money. We would use other terms, right? It would lead to other things. But the point is open ended generosity ends up backfiring. Without discipline, it ends up backfiring. Why? Because it gets hijacked. You give the teenager, right, $10,000, a stack of $10,000 in cash, you put it into your eight year old's pocket on their, on, their, on their birthday, their 18th birthday, what are they gonna spend it on? Right? Okay, so the, the, the wise, the ben chacham, the wise child that the Seder would say, oh, let me invest it in safe and or, you know, aggressive uh, investments. And then, you know, when I get older, by the time I'm 30, I'll have X amount of money. Great. And what will your average 18-year-old do? Yeah, I don't think we have to get into details, right? Things that may be legal and not so legal at 18, right? That's what's going to happen. If we're being honest, that's what's going to happen. Most kids, Right? Present company excluded, blah, 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 disclaimers. But the bottom line is that's probably what's going to happen. Why? Because the forces of, I'm going to speak now hybrid mystical and practical, the forces of the Philistines, conceptually, right, the concept of the Philistines, will hijack the energy of love and carry it to a nefarious purpose. In English, what that means is the kid is going to use the money for something not good. So there will be a force, a temptation to use it for a negative purpose. Or the friends will say, hey, let's spend this money. Again, use your imagination. It's your imagination, not mine. That's it. Okay, right? That's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. It's going to get hijacked by the Philistines. So what you intended as an act of love, generosity, so much generosity, $10,000 of generosity on the 18th birthday is going to end up, very likely, God forbid, harming the child. Too much of a good thing. This is love, Abraham's love, hijacked by the Philistines, ending up ingesting buffoonery and some of those other, other um, scoffing and whatever, whatever language the Talmud uses, but just use your own language to figure out what's going to happen. Education, same deal, too, too, much, too, too much generosity is not a good thing. And in loving relationships, too much generosity is not a good thing either. And what I mean by that is the following. And here I want to modify the example. Of, you know, parents and children, it's an easy example to give. But now let's talk about love. Loving. Eh, parents love their children. That's a different type of love that I'm talking about right now. Love, more of a romantic love relationship. A love that is unbridled. Right? Un, unrestrained. Kabbalah teaches that type of love is coming from one place. One place. Me. I want to show love. I want to give love. So I'm giving love unbridled. I'm going to give you so much love, you're going to know about it. In other words, who's it about? It's about me. Imagine, I've used this example before. Imagine a waiter comes over to your table and says, Would you like some wine? Sure. Pours the wine. And doesn't stop pouring. You're like, uh, It's getting higher, higher, higher. It's at the top, it's overflowing, and now it's on your clothes. And he's still pouring. You wanted wine. Here's some wine. Oh, you wanted wine? I'm giving you more wine. More, and more, and more wine. And what's going to happen? <laughs> Without restraint, it's not a blessing anymore. Why? Because if you're giving, you should be giving to what they can receive. I hope that makes sense. There's two types of giving, or there's two elements in that giving experience. There's me giving, and then there's me giving to you. And the question is, what's the emphasis? If I want to give, well, then the more I give, the better. In other words, if it's selfish giving then the more the better. Does that make sense? If it's about me, I love you. I'm going to let you know how much I love you. I'm not going to stop letting you know how much I love you. I don't even care what you need or what you want or what you expect. I need you to know that I love you. So it's all about me. This is called selfish or, yeah, selfish love. Selfish love is a love that says, I love you. I come before you. I love you. In fact, you don't even need to be here. I love I love. That's a new product by Apple. The I love, I'm kidding. Right? I love, right? I love and you know maybe you're here somewhere to 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 receive it or not receive it, that's irrelevant. I love. That's unhealthy because it's ego-driven. It's completely ego-driven. And what happens is that that quickly ends up into dangerous territory. Right? Because the moment I don't like what you did or how you reacted? Oh, now it's a whole thing. Why? Because it was never about respect. It was never about you. It was always about me. So if I don't get what I thought I was going to get back in return, the whole thing—the whole thing—is set up for a disaster. The whole thing is unsustainable. This is again. I'm not saying that Abraham was a lover, someone who loved without any restraint. This. This is not about Abraham, it's about the persona of Abraham, about the concept of Abraham as explained in Kabbalah. Abraham represents giving, unbridled giving, and ultimately that is not sustainable. That gets stopped up or that gets redirected by the Philistines into a negative direction. What's needed is a little bit of Yitzchak, a little bit of Isaac, which is discipline, which is gvura. Right? Isaac is the well digger. Isaac looks internally. Isaac is discipline. You have to dig, you have to focus. It's about an internal experience. It's about creating boundaries, creating borders. That's what Gvura is in Kabbalah. So Isaac is about loving in a way that's actually about the other person. It's not, I love you. It's, I don't know how to say this otherwise, but still have to use the word I, I guess. But it's, uh, love you, do I, (laughs) said the person who can't speak English, right? Love you, do I, maybe that's Shakespeare or something, right? So it's you come before me. So it's not about me loving you. It's example of this is fish love. Fish love. What's fish love? Fish love. Two words. Fish love. Dr. Tursky, Rabbi Dr. Torsky used to tell the story about the Rabbi Merchem of Kutsk, the Kotzka Rabbi, who saw a young man, a student, uh, who was eating fish with a lot of gusto. And he said, you like fish? He says, yeah, I love fish. He says, you don't love fish. You love yourself. If you loved fish, you wouldn't catch, kill, and cook the fish and eat it. If you loved fish, you would take care of fish. Ah, you're eating fish. You don't love fish. You love yourself, and you love how fish tastes to you you don't love fish you love yourself so let's just be clear when a person says i love you the question is what does it mean do they really love that other person or do they love how that person makes them feel somebody says oh i love you so much you make me want to get up in the morning and do amazing things you make me feel fulfilled you you complete my life that's why i I love you so do you love them or you love how they make you feel which means that you only love them vis-a-vis you, so it's selfish love. It's self-reflected love. It's I love me, and insofar as you help me, so then, all right, you're, we accept you to be to be, in this, uh, to, to be here. The moment you say, hey, you know, what about me is, okay, well, then if you're not serving, okay, sorry for, for doubling up on me. The moment the other one is concerned about themselves, it's like, oh, one second, it's all about me. I loved you only insofar as me. So this is where the challenge comes in. The challenge of unbridled love is really the challenge of selfish love, which is the self-reflective love, which is the fish love, which is the love that is the modality of Abraham, which is why it's not sustainable. That type of love is not sustainable. What type of love is sustainable? The type of love that's predicated on respect, predicated on actually loving the other person and loving the w- them the way they need to be loved, not the way I want to love. I want to love and show you how much I love you, so I'm going to do this, that, and the other for you. What if the other one doesn't want it? The other one says, I actually don't want it. I don't need that. Yeah, but I love you, but you're not listening to me, right? You, you're saying you love me, but you're not listening to me, right? You say you love me, and I say, but I don't want this. But I love you, but you don't. Because if you really love me, then you're going to do for me what I would like, what I would like, not what you like. So if I get, so if a husband gets a wife for her birthday, a pair of golf clubs, a set of golf clubs, and she's not a golfer, But you're a golfer, right? The husband's a golfer. And the husband says, ah, I'm a golfer. I love golf. So I'm going to get you a set of uh, golf clubs. It's a nice thought maybe, but it's not. You got to know what the other one loves. I'm giving you a very simple example, a very um, basic example. So that's the big idea here. The big idea is that Abraham represents love, unbridled love, unbridled giving. Isaac represents discipline, right? Well digging, discipline, focus, carving out space. For the other. And this is the message of the wells of Abraham. Why did Abraham dig wells, but they weren't sustainable? Why were Abraham's wells stuffed up? The answer is because that type of love is not sustainable, whether it's our human relationships, whether it's our divine relationship. It just doesn't work. A love that's predicated on that, that love fizzles out. A love that's predicated on respect. On an Isaac type of Yitzchak, type Kvura, that's a love. That, that, that's what brings out the love. Again, that's what brings out the water. That's how you redig the well. So, the Zara tells us. Now I'm just wrapping up all the pieces and hopefully putting them together. So the Zara tells us that there are three things that serve as a, as a testimony, as, as a witness testimony. And the first item, the first object, is the well of Isaac. And we asked the question, well of Isaac, it was the well of Abraham. And the Rebbe's father explained, no, it was the well of Isaac because Abraham, true Abraham dug it, but it was stuffed up. So that's exactly the point. Abraham dug the well, but it was stuffed up, it was blocked. Because that type of unbridled giving is not sustainable. It's only Isaac who undigs, who uncovers the the way to really love through discipline, through really listening to the other, respecting the other. That's what makes the well sustainable. And that's why, why the Zohar says that this is a witness that, that bears testimony. And what's the witness? What's the testimony? When you're in a relationship, the, the modality is not to follow Abraham's. The, the, the goal is not to follow Abraham's model of unbridled giving. It's to follow a disciplined path of giving. That's what the witness, that's what the testimony is. You can't have chesed, pure chesed without gefur. You can't have pure, you can't have just giving without discipline. For example, for example, let's, let's talk about Judaism. Another example, unrelated to love, Judaism. You want to make Judaism attractive to people in the 21st century. You want to make Judaism appealing to the, uh, to the Jew in 2021. So you want to do an, an event to bring Jews together. So what do you do? Poker night, gambling, Vegas night. You could think of all sorts of ideas to get people through the door. And that's love, right? We're bringing people in, it's, 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 it's fun, it's generous. Sure. But is it, but is it the right thing? Is it, is it, is it discipline? Is it, is it achieving the objective? I can love and give. But is it achieving the objective? Is it furthering the relationship? Is it enhancing the relationship? Or is it harming the relationship? Am I helping my child by giving them $10,000 on their birthday, on their 18th birthday? Or am I harming them? Do I really love? Or am I sabotaging? That's the question. And that's the message the Zohar says. You know, the, you know what the well is about? And that's why the Zohar uses the word from our Torah portion. Abraham makes a covenant with, 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 uh, with Ami Melech. Abraham and the king make a, make a pledge. And what happens? The king breaks the pledge. Because when you approach the well with just the energy of Abraham, you can think and be convinced that it's going to last forever, but it's not going to last forever. You think that this is a sustainable model. It's not a sustainable model. You can't have unbridled chesed without kafura. That's why the Zohar says, you know what's the testimony? You know what the testimony is? Not the, not the animals, the lambs. That You lambs were, were a testimony that this was Abraham's well. But then the king broke it. So now we now Isaac redug it, and now that's the testimony. The well itself is a testimony that pure love, unbridled love, is not sustainable. This is the explanation according to Kabbalah, the Zohar, and according to the Rebbe's father explanation, according to the Rebbe's father's interpretation, as explained by the Lubavitcher Rebbe. This is how the Rebbe, this the, the, right our Rebbe, the son of Rebbe Levi, Rebbe Levi Yitzhak, This is how he explains his father's message. Let me see if I can find a. Um, a quick text over here. Here we go. This is it. One final text, and then we can close this out. All right. Here we go. Text number twelve. Um, the Rebbe explains his father's commentary on the Zohar. We can now understand why Abraham's wells were stuffed by the Philistines, whereas when Isaac went ahead and redug them, they were no longer stuffed. When Abraham's approach of love and joy is paired with Isaac's efforts of humility, discipline, and restraint, it is no longer possible for any negative forces to feed off it. Thus, the wells lasted forever. And again, it sounds like lofty terms. Love and joy needs to be paired with humility, discipline, and restraint. And hopefully tonight, I've given a little bit more context to understand this. When love and joy, you love your child, I'm so happy you're 18, here's $10,000, enjoy yourself. That's not a good idea because it has to be paired with humility, discipline, and restraint. You have to hold yourself back. You love, but you know what? You also have to act responsibly in love. You love the other, you want to give, but listen to what they want. Don't make it about you. Don't make this fish love. It's not about you, it's about them. Right? When you love a baby, you love a small child, and you want to give them a hug, don't squeeze them as hard as you can. I mean, this is good advice, right? This is good, like, physical advice. Don't squeeze a little baby as hard as you can. It's going to harm the child. You have to hold back. Right? But wait, but I really love Yeah, on your terms, right? Don't love on your terms. Because on your terms, it's too much. It's too much. Any love that's pure Abrahamic love, pure, unbridled, unrestrained, undisciplined love, will be stopped up by the Philistines. In other words, it's not sustainable. It's going to be hijacked. It's just not, it's it's just, it's going to blow up. What has to happen, what has to happen is, you got to get some Isaac, which is why the Zora says, it's the will of Isaac, that serves as testimony. Testimony for what? For how to live life. How to live life in a healthy way. Love with discipline. A little chesed with a little gvura makes the medicine go down. No, makes, uh, makes the world go round. All right, that's it for tonight. So what's the moral of the story? Make sure that when you're loving, you're also listening. Make sure that when you're giving, you're paying attention to how you're giving. Make sure when you're sharing, you know who you're sharing and what you're sharing to whom, etc. <clears throat> we have to be careful, be disciplined, be responsible. B'chaim. cheers. Don't worry, it's just water. All right, um, questions, comments. Let's turn first to our, yes, Susan. Does
1: this undermine what Abraham did?
0: Mm-mm. This is why we have three patriarchs. If one patriarch was the only message we needed, we would only have Abraham. The fact that we have three patriarchs, again, all of this is... Ba- uh, and one second, one second. Let me just say the, the, the um, disclaimer that I said before, but I said it very quickly. This is by no means suggesting that Abraham was flawed. What we're saying is the concept of, of Abraham and the message of Abraham, if you only have that modality, then we are compromising ourselves. We need a blend of all three. Did Abraham have discipline? Not me to judge. I didn't know him. I'm assuming yes. But the way Kabbalah understands Abraham, he represents love. And love alone is not enough. Love alone can get out of hand. Love alone can be destructive. Can be destructive. You give your kid, your kid, your kid loves sweet things. So you put sugar in everything. And you know what's going to happen? they are going to end up at the dentist. They're going to end up at the dentist. That's it. But I loved you. I gave you, I gave you the sweet stuff. And you know what? It wasn't good. It wasn't healthy. That's the way it is. Not everything sweet is healthy. Not all giving is healthy. Not all giving is good. Sometimes you have to hold back a little bit. Sometimes you have to withhold. Good. It's like this. It's like this in everything. It's like this in everything. You know, in baseball. I, someone tells me that, uh, somebody told me before, maybe the Braves are playing tonight. I'm kidding. Yeah, not kidding about the Braves. Kidding that someone told me before. So um, we all know this, right? It's clear. LA, Atlanta, game number, what are we? Five, four? Four. All right, Atlanta's winning two, good, four. So here's the deal. If you're a pitcher, and, and, and I hope this makes sense, if you're a pitcher, rare is the pitcher that can throw fastball after fastball after fastball. Sometimes you need an off-speed pitch. So if you know baseball, you know what I'm talking about, then, then you already understand, chesed gvura, that's my example here. If you don't know baseball, pull up a chair. I'm kidding. So basically sometimes, when you, right, you throw the ball really fast, 100 miles an hour, whoo, can't hit it. But you know what, these guys, the professionals, they can eventually time it, and they can take you deep. If you keep on throwing 100 miles an hour, they're, they're getting paid, they're at the top level, they will take you yard, they, which means they will hit a home run and mess you up. Not physically, but you know, emotionally. They will, they will hit a home run, and your team will lose. Every time, if you keep on consistently. So what you do is, you have to pitch the same way. You have to throw the ball the same. But instead of going 100, it goes now 87 miles an hour. And so the guy swings way ahead of where the pitch is, and bada-bing, bada-boom, you fooled him. You tricked him, because you thought you were throwing fast, and you threw slow. The point is, you can't have just chesed, unbridled fastballs, without gavura, a little bit of restraint, a little bit of a, of a change a little bit of, a, um, of an off-speed pitch. This is an example that I bet the Kabbalists could not have fathomed was going to come out in 2021 on October 20th, 2021. But this just happened, right? The Kabbalah of the off speed pitch. Now, the Kabbalah of the Ephes, we'll have to leave for another conversation. If you know what that is, you get extra Torah points. Is that, yeah, you guys know what that is? Yes? Who knows what that is? That's the, yes, <laughs> Ed's got it. You guys know that, the Ephes? It's a pitch that goes really high. And goes straight up and straight down and crosses the plate. Then no one throws that anymore. No one throws. Eh, eh, what are you going to do? Ah, we live in a world of darkness. No ephesis. The ephi, I think it's, ephi is the plural. So here's the point. The point is, you can't just give. Giving is good. Too much giving, you can have too much of a good thing. You got to hold back. You got to restrain. And restraint means, not that you don't want to give, but that you respect and you're thinking about the other. That's what it means. It means that now, I don't, think, I don't know if I close this loop. It's no longer selfish giving, it's selfless giving. Restraint means that I respect you. I value you. I honor you. I ask you. Right? I consider you in my giving. I don't just give, because I, I consider you in my giving. And it doesn't mean you're giving less. It means you're giving more appropriately. It's not about more or less. I, I hope it's not a, 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 a quantity thing. It's like a hundred... Or 50. It's not 100 or 50. It's about how you're giving. How you're approaching it. How you're loving. (sighs) So much to talk about on this topic. But the bottom line is you have these big ideas about giving. How to give in a healthy way. How to love selflessly instead of selfishly. And it's all encoded in two wells. A tale of two wells. Was it Abraham's well or Isaac's well? Abraham started it. But Isaac finished it because you need the gavura to be sustainable. That's the story. That's the Rebbe's father's insight as explained by the Rebbe and applied to the change up. That's what's going on tonight. All right. Um, yes, question, Mom. Oh, yeah.
1: I have two questions. Yes. Because so, what you just said brought me to a second question. So, so, so Isaac's wells lasted and lasted. They were sustainable. Yes. Um they lasted for more than
0: one generation. I don't I can't tell you where they are. Although it says I'm
1: not asking if you they lasted forever. I'm just asking you they, they so they were sustainable for more than one generation. They lasted past his own demise.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. Okay. That's
1: all? And, okay.
0: and that's one, other thing, one other thing to mention, although this Torah portion is not about the wells, that's coming up. Um, but it says that one of the wells that he dug was, I think this was Isaac, was Rehovot. Right, uh-huh. There you go. So
1: you were born.
0: I, yes, as you would know. I was born in Rehovot. Yes. I sure do know. I, I know you know. <laughs> okay. Exactly. So let
1: me ask you a question then. Are we to assume, and I typed it in the chat.
0: Oh, wait, hold on. Hold on. You, I think you got muted.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, no I did. Got muted. I did get muted. Okay, so are we to assume that the reason they lasted is because Isaac did not give the sheep as a as a so called bonus?
0: I, you know, what? it's a good question. I, I see it. I didn't see it before in the I mean, chat. Why, I see it now. Why
1: did why did they last? What what was the difference?
0: Right. So according to Kabbalah, it's because Isaac brought the energy of discipline. It's not a. It, it's when when you have the gvur, the, the Chesed with the gevura, when you have the giving with the discipline. It makes sure that the klipa, the the negative energy, can't hijack the energy. So in other words, when you give... I I don't know that I can explain it physically, like why didn't the Philistines actually just stuff up the wells again when no one was looking. I don't know if I can explain it physically. But conceptually, it means that when you have giving married with constraint, with with a disciplined uh, approach, then it doesn't get hijacked by the Philistine forces. In other words... When you give your eighteen-year-old instead of ten thousand no, dollars, yeah,
1: yeah, I, yeah, I We okay. all understand that. Got it. Uh, but but, but uh, okay, so I can't tie it to sheep.
0: I don't know. I I, I can't. Far be it for me to, to say you can't tie it to sheep. But I I it's it wasn't. It's not tied together in the sources. It doesn't go back to the sheep element in the sources that Abraham gave the gift. Isaac didn't give the gift by giving the gift. He's giving too much. He's enabling the Philistines paradoxically to steal, to cover the wells by giving them a gift. That that I I, I think I, I think I know what you're saying, but that that dynamic is not it's not in the sources.
1: Yeah, well, it, it probably is, because it's implied, because if the sheep aren't the witness, and the well is the witness, so it's the well, not the sheep. The sheep aren't there.
0: Yeah. Uh, can I, can I just okay. a
1: second uh, Okay, yeah. yeah, and then I have another question, but it's not related. Okay, yeah. I just, I, I, just, I just thought about that, because
0: Isaac dug several wells, which were clogged up by the scenes, so maybe perseverance was the reason that the last well at Rehobo's lasted, because he kept persevering, and kept going on, and he didn't give up. Maybe that's the reason. That's just the thought. Yeah, could be, that. which is another attribute, attribute of Netzach, which is going to get our Kabbalistic chart uh, even more colorful. But we'll have to leave that for, for, a, for the advanced sphero class, the advanced energy class.
1: And I have the other question is, is, is not is, it, it, it takes it away, from, takes us away from your lesson. So I'm going to leave it for a different okay.
0: time. All right. Well, we'll, we'll so get to it at some point.
1: Circumcision and it takes away from the. All right. Yeah,
0: let's uh, we'll talk. We'll talk, yeah, realize, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that offline. Right. I'll give you yeah. a call. All right. Good, good, good. Um, any questions, comments? No. Other than go Braves. Okay, that works. <laughs> All right. Oh,
1: wait, wait. What are we in the playoffs?
0: Yes. Well, the Pirates. I can't speak for the Pirates, no, 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 but no, no, the Braves. No. I, yes.
1: I follow the Pirates. but
0: yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I, I, I'm following the Braves as a secondary team. There
0: you go. Yeah. So yeah. I just
1: want to know. I mean, I know the the Penguins won last night.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And the Steelers won the Monday or Sunday or whatever they played. So that that I know. I just yeah. want to. Okay.
0: All right, good, good, good. All right, have a wonderful night, everybody. Thanks for joining Torah Studies. We'll see you guys next week. And before then, I'm sure we'll have opportunities to study together. Don't forget, also, very important announcement. Don't forget, next week, Tuesday night on Zoom, Thursday in person, we're starting the brand-new course, Outsmarting Antisemitism. Four weeks to understand where anti-Semitism comes from, but more importantly, how we can stand with pride, with confidence, and with, with positivity. To combat anti Semitism, so join me Tuesday night or Thursday for the launch of the brand new course. I look forward to seeing you then. Shalom, everybody. Lila Tov. Thank you. Pleasure, pleasure. Lila Tov.